Hello, everybody. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer, back in the studio again. So happy to be here as always. It's a little chilly, little blustery out. It snowed a couple flakes the other day on Valentine's Day. And speaking of Valentine's, a shout out as always to my beloved daughter, May. You are the best Valentine I could ever ask for. Today's show, I have a guest that you actually, if you tuned in two weeks ago, you would have heard the show that we did a year ago. It's Julia Dakin. Julia is a farmer in Casper who has partnered with Joseph Lofthouse, author of the book Land Race Gardening. They and others have created an organization called Going to Seed. Their mission is to promote growing locally adapted promiscuous pollinating and community selected food crops. Julia, welcome. You're on mute. The wonders Thank of Zoom. You. Hi. Yay. Great to be here. So two weeks ago, we re-aired a show that you and I did almost exactly one year ago. And during that show, we said, let's do a follow-up show and see how the growing season went. So that's what we're doing today. Awesome. I'm really excited. It was a good conversation, and a lot has happened since then. Well, we're going to talk about all of it. So if you are out there listening, if you heard last week's show, uh, great. Some of this will be a little repetitive just at the beginning. I promise we're not going to spend too much time rehashing what was on that previous show. And then later, we will open the lines up for questions. So before you tell us about all the many things that have happened in the past year, um, can you just quickly give everyone a primer on uh, land race gardening? Yeah, so I should explain what land races are in general. Um, they are traditional varieties with deep cultural roots in a specific area. And they're adapted to the local environmental conditions and what the community preferences are for things like flavor, um, color, size. And they usually have high genetic diversity, so they don't all look the same, um, so that they can really evolve and shift with the climate and with the community. And high diversity because plants are healthier with more diversity, but we'll get into that later. Like humans, like all species. <laughs> yes, that's right, dogs. <laughs> so it's really the way our great-grandparents were growing. They had regional seeds, certainly um, no national seed companies, maybe small local seed companies. Um, and in modern times, you might have heard of the indigenous Mexican corn land races. They might be the most famous. So they are in you know a specific area, a specific village. Um, different, each one has like their own variety of corn that's a little bit different. Um, and you might have also heard of the wheat and grain land races in the Mediterranean and the Middle East. But in, you know, in the U.S. and in industrialized countries, we've really lost that mentality of regional adaptation and diversity. And also, we've really lost those seeds. So you're so, trying to bring them back. Trying, and you know, we need to kind of start over. But uh, first of all, it's a mindset shift because, you know, now we buy seeds every year. And maybe they're heirlooms, but that means that they were adapted to another place and another time and for many years they've been isolated and um, undergone some invading depression. So, um, you know, hybrids have really come out of, they've taken over the, the world of, of production farming and that is because they tend to grow bigger and are, you know, um, more disease resistant than heirlooms. And so we know that, you know, diversity is a, or, you know, that, that genetic diversity gives plants a leg up. Um, and we just also need to like branch out from the, the choice between heirlooms or, or sort of the same idea with open pollinated, um, inbred varieties to, um, and hybrids to other things. Yeah, let's talk briefly about open pollinated versus promiscuous and what the issues are with open pollinated seeds. So open pollinated sounds great. It does. Uh, it, As a beekeeper's it, wife, it sounds it, it, ideal. It can be great, but it really it is often um, open pollinated within 
a narrow genetic base. So it's open pollinated within a variety and breeders don't tend to let varieties cross pollinate. And that's what makes plants healthier is those wide crosses. So then can you explain to me why as a gardener, you know, people will say to you, oh, don't let your, don't plant squash, for instance, too close together because they'll cross pollinate and you'll get like an inedible squash. Is that the idea? But then I just wouldn't select the seeds from that inedible squash because it wasn't, it didn't have desirable traits. Yeah, you know, we've already been told so many times, uh, keep things true to type, don't let them cross. And so we've gotten this sort of fear of letting that happen. And I don't know if some of it is intentional by the seed companies or just like this this move towards purity, but um, there are occasional cases where um, if you cross a pumpkin, say if it gets crossed with a uh, gourd, uh, decorative gourds, those tend to have the bitter gene, but everything else, you know, like there's different species of crosses of, of um, squash. So the maximas and moshadas, if they cross between varieties, you know, butternuts and another moshada variety, there is no problem at all. There's no bitterness. We just have this fear about letting anything cross. And that's one thing kind of, you know, we're working to move people out of. Well, you have two very strong societal um sort of issues at work there one is purity culture and the other is capitalism so sort of a couple of uphill roads (laughs) um okay well then just what's the basic method like the last time we spoke we spent a whole hour talking about land race and we're going to do that today but the, the the basic method itself is actually quite simple so For folks who are listening, they're like, I don't want to buy my seeds. You're right. I don't want to buy into purity culture or capitalism. This is Mendocino County, after all, and we are cooler than everybody else. How does one do land race gardening? Yeah, so it is really simple. This is the way that, you know, our great-grandparents were were growing. Um, It's the way crops were domesticated by illiterate plant breeders for the last 10,000 years. And so there's, there's two things that you need you know, be committed to doing before you get started. And one is saving seeds or use, using local seeds. And the other is allowing cross-pollination. So after that, the first year, you would plant a few different varieties together. You don't have to go crazy. You can do two varieties, for example, but just allowing some um, promiscuous cross-pollination and letting nature take its course. So um, if pests attack them, then that's okay. You might have a high mortality rate the first year, but what you're looking for are those strong plants um, and that you save seeds from those. That's why we have farmer's markets. If all your tomatoes die, just go to your farmer's market. Exactly. And ideally, most of them don't. Depends on where you are and what you're growing. Just setting Um, people up for realistic expectations. (laughs) They might all die the first year. (laughs) (laughs) So in the first year, you don't worry about flavor, uh, you don't have to do much selection, just, you know, let things go. And that can be really relaxing because if a a disease strikes, then see what happens. Don't try to research every possible tomato disease, for example. Um, And so you save those seeds at the end of the year. And then in the second year, you kind of do the same and you can be a little bit more selective. You know, you'll have everything that's in your garden the second year will have you know, produce something the first year so you can have a big step forward. Um, and then the third year is really when you want to start selecting for what you love. So by that, by the third year, you know, you have plants that are pretty adapted, but all surviving and doing well. And you can start tasting everyone and really choosing the, the delicious flavors or, or whatever it is that strikes your fancy. And your neighbors uh, so can be really doing it. it too, right? So when you say local, you mean hyper-local. You want hyper-local seeds, I'm assuming. Like, I don't want your seeds from the coast, and you don't want my seeds from Ukiah. There are things, you know, my seeds in Ukiah may be healthier than seeds that you can buy just because they have already been um, not coddled. They are diverse. You know, they, they're they stronger than, you know, some most heirloom seeds that you would buy. Um, but it's true that you have a completely different climate, and I'm selecting for what what thrives with a cold summer i'm in casper and i'm growing right you know on the bluffs of, of the coast and so our average summer high is 58 degrees 
So that's a big challenge for my area, but also an opportunity. So I want to be sharing seeds ideally with people in um, a similar climate. So wet, or not wet, but um, cold, foggy. And then also I'm selecting for ones that do well in my soil. So I have really sandy, poor soil, and I, I don't add much to it. Got it. That's another question I have. One of the main points of land race is, as you've said, you don't coddle the plants, you don't do, you know, nutrient additives, you're not fertilizing. What if a lot of people like me are starting from raised beds? Just treat it like the direct ground, like just stop putting inputs into that? Or is that a different... Yeah, so we have these these principles, and before uh, use as few inputs with, as possible was part of that, and that became problematic. And I realized is because we have to consider modern modern times. I was sort of using the traditional definition of land race, where um, you know farmers weren't adding much; they were really adapting to the soil that we have. But now there are so many people with raised beds, with container gardens. You know, they're growing in urban areas, and one big benefit to this method is that no matter how small your garden is, you can save seeds, good quality seeds that have high genetic diversity. Because if you're a seed saver, you've heard this, you need like 200 at minimum corn plants. Right. You need you know, 30 feet of, of distance between things so they don't, certain things, so they don't cross pollinate. Um, and so a lot of people in small gardens couldn't save seeds. But with this method, it's much easier because when you have a lot of diversity to start with, you'll need 200 corn plants. You'll have enough diversity with 10. Um, so anyway, back to cool. the low inputs. I would say in a container garden, in a raised bed situation, do whatever you love to do and or <laughs> what you're used to doing and just change your mindset a little bit and sort of like letting things cross and saving seeds and, you know, not, not coddling beyond, you know, what, what's reasonable. But we removed the low input part from our, our principles just to, you know, respect the modern transition. Okay, so last year there were seven principles. You sent me a note that says now there's five principles. The one that we've spoken about that you removed just now is low input. So just cross that one off the list. What is the other principle? that got kicked to the curb this year? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. There was one that was a little um, repetitive, so I think it was okay. about diversity. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've narrowed it down to five. Five principles. Okay. Um, well, I'm excited and ready to hear about how your growing season went. Was this your third growing season? In the area, um, and it was my second growing season using this method for a couple of my crops, and my first season for really expanding to, I don't know, a dozen different species where it's growing this way. So, okay, so you um, were kind of all over the range of first, second, mm -hmm. third year. Tell mm -hmm. me what went well. So there were a few things that I was worried about that I didn't need to be, and one was corn, sweet corn and flower corn. And uh, most people wouldn't grow corn on the coast, but mine actually did great, and I harvested in September, and I oh, had wow. a big pile of beautiful corn. The sweet corn matured into seed, so that was great. And um, I had a fun, I think my most fun project was the melons, because melons are something else that, you know, they really want warm summer temperatures. Right. So in August, an average high of 58 is really not ideal at all. Um, and I, you know, my husband loves melons, and I just thought I'd give it a try and I at one point expected to have no melons at all but I did get melons and I got about 20 25 melons and that was from hundreds hundreds of seeds hundreds that I collected. Of seeds. hey that's yeah. pretty good though and now you know which ones you're gonna plant next year yeah, so it's a good example of, of why, you know, this is a benefit in my climate to doing it this way. Um, so it sounds like a crop failure, right? If I was a production farmer, that'd be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but those seeds are more valuable to me long term than any crop that I could have gotten if I had, you know, put them in a hoop house or grown them differently. So I had hundreds of seeds. Half of them didn't germinate because of cold soil temperatures. Um, of most of the rest that did, didn't produce any melons at all because the nights were too cool. And then, you know, I, I, 
I got enough to really have good diversity for my second year. So I expect to have reliable melons within a couple of years. That's very exciting. What were the varieties that the sort of starter varieties that did well? Well, I can't tell you that because I mixed them all together. So I had probably 20 varieties and I quickly forgot the names of them because after the first year, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go back and buy those varieties, right? They're crossed anyway. And they're going to, in the third year, they're going to be crossed in all kinds of different ways. Are you going to name them? But I did, I had two blocks of melons and uh, Joseph Lofthouse had given me some seeds that had already been adapted to a short season and cold nights. And those melons were about a month earlier than any of the heirloom melons. Wow. So that was, that was pretty cool to see. Are they little? Did you get any like big fruit? Is it pretty regular size? So these are musk melons, cantaloupe. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So they weren't tiny, no. Do and they were sweet. They were tasty. So a lot of times my tomatoes, for example, are terrible because it's so <laughs> cold. But the melons were really good, and that was another. Surprise. Oh, your husband was happy. <laughs> Do you name the varieties after like that? But you're planning by year three. So in year three, they're not exactly a land race yet. Um, it takes longer. So I, I would call them a Grex is, you know, um, a mix uh, descendants of lots of different varieties. They're still adapting. Okay. So eventually I might name them, but I'm not quite ready to do that now. I'm not a big naming person. It's one problem. Oh, that would be my favorite part of it. <laughs> I'll have to have you out. You can help me next year. Um, what else grew well, especially if it was unexpected for your coastal area? Dry beans did really well. Okay. Well, some of them did well. I got about 15 pounds from, I don't know, a quarter of a pound of seed. And that was another example where I have a promis- it's called a promiscuous um, population of beans. So beans are typically self-pollinating. Mm-hmm. And over many years, that causes them to be not as strong. So I had two different ones, one the promiscuous ones and the heirloom ones. And the promiscuous ones were about a, a month earlier, similar to the melons, and much more productive. So that was pretty cool. So of the... I, oh, yeah, go ahead. I grew moshata squash. So those are butternut types. Mm. And those are also heat-loving. And I actually got enough, you know, I, I didn't get a great harvest, but it was much better than the melons. And I, I felt like, you know, even next year, I'll have a, a lot more production. And um, that's kind of exciting to be able to grow these things that, you know, really don't grow on the coast. So with melons, you can eat the melon and then save the seeds. But with beans, you can't eat the beans because those are your seeds, right? Right. So of those 15 pounds of beans, how many are you saving to plant next year? I saved them all. All of them. Okay. uh So next year I'll have more to eat. But this year I felt like that bean population was special and I needed to expand it. So I saved every single one. This year you are a Mendocino grain bean buyer. (laughs) That's right. Rachel grew your beans to eat this year. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of kind of surprising success with hot weather lovers. So did you feel like those successes kind of was the proof that you were looking for that you were on the right track with land race gardening or did you, were you already confident and this was just frosting on the This was great to see in action because I grew so many, you know, different, genetically different, um, uh, you know, a population that was the same species, um, but very different. So you could really see in the same soil, same water, same cold temperatures, some thrived and some did terrible. They got eaten by bugs, whereas one right next to it was just throwing the bugs off. So I have a lot of those photos, and that was really, really fun to see that side by side where, you know, conditions really were the same and the plants were really different. Well, I want to also ask about maybe some, I'm not going to call them failures, but some some less successful plantings. But first, let's take a moment to reintroduce you. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. My guest is Julia Dakin. Julia is a farmer in Casper. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
She has partnered with Joseph Lofthouse, who wrote the book Land Race Gardening. If you want to learn more, you can look that up. We'll also talk about the website and some local initiatives where you can go to learn more. Julia and others have created an organization called Going to Seed, so you can go to that website. The mission is to promote growing locally adapted, promiscuous pollinating, and community-selected food crops. And we are doing a follow-up show after we had a show a year ago that we actually ran again and re-ran two weeks ago. So if you tuned in two weeks ago, you heard Julie and I talking, but that was from a year ago. And now Julia has had a whole year of additional land race gardening experience. Uh, we've just talked about what went well this year. And now I want you to give us the dirt on what didn't go so well for you. I think in Ukiah, you guys had a really hot summer. We which... sure did. We had a really hot September. Um, I mean, <laughs> and... it's always hot, but it was like a weird five-day stretch of 115 degree days or something awful mm -hmm. so that tends to pull the fog in and it's especially cold for us mm -hmm. and we also had summer rain so um that was really bad for tomatoes uh tomatoes already struggle and the blight was really bad so i had most of my tomatoes die before they even produced any green fruit oh <laughs> um, little babies it was a little depressing but luckily i had a lot of other, other crops to pay attention to um and the benefit of that is is that the ones that are left are really blight tolerant so now i've shared those seeds with people in my network um that struggle with the same blight issues so it's a it's a curse and a benefit at the same time um blight also hit our potatoes really bad so I, i'm going on the same field with somebody who's growing for market kevin you might have bought his potatoes um so his potatoes struggled from blight and even the ones that i've been growing from true seed um got knocked back oh no but, yeah again i was able to find the ones that were fine no hardly any but a few so now you have at least some to plant next year tomatoes and potatoes and you can be reasonably sure that they will be blight resistant next year what happens if a hundred percent of what you plant of a certain type like all of your tomatoes had died and then you don't have any seeds to plant next year yeah so i luckily i had i had plenty of seed from last year that i didn't plant so i would try again but it's not ideal i mean you want something to survive and if i was just starting from scratch and had lost everything then that would be worse but that happens and you just have to keep going and that's another reason to plant different species together you know not just the genetic diversity within a species but the biodiversity so that you have different things to eat <laughs> and different survival chances if it's year one like if someone's listening and just wants to start this do you have to start from seed or could you go to the farmer's market and buy you know 10 different varieties of sweet peppers uh, uh, starts like not from seed yeah you could totally do that but the problem with buying starts is then you're selecting for ones that prefer to grow that way so if you always want to do that then then that's fine but if you want to you know have your own seeds in the future it makes more sense it would make more sense to buy the peppers that you like and then save those seeds you know from the year before and then plant those okay so it's it's better to start from seed because then you're just starting them directly in the condition where you are going to be growing long term that exactly. makes sense well, I'm so especially sad to hear that your potatoes didn't do well because you famously grow excellent potatoes um, and that your land partner, field partner, also didn't have a good potato year. You know, his wasn't amazing, but he still had plenty of potatoes. Okay. So <laughs> we have a big field and grow a lot. <laughs> so they were extra. Um, so what are you going to do differently next year? I'm going to grow fewer things you, how many crops space. how many crops did you grow this year probably about about 20 different projects oh wow 
Yeah, so I have a lot of different things. I was trying different things, and I really focused on farming all summer. And this coming year, I have other things going on um, related to the organization and people. So I need to scale back a little bit. So um, I need to really focus on the ones that are the most, have the most promise for me. So melons, <clears throat> corn, beans. Are you going to give up on tomatoes? No, I never will. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> All those things. Um, I love squash. Eat a lot of squash. I have a lot of different squash projects. So I have probably five squash projects still, um, but probably smaller areas. So, for example, I grew four hundred and fifty foot rows of melons, and that's just too much. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, when you're losing most of them, it's yeah. <laughs> a lot of death. Death in the field. <laughs> just creating compost well that's a perfect segue because you're talking about you have things going on with the organization and now i want to talk about building a local land race gardener community last year that was something you talked about as one of the goals and i'm wondering what has happened in the past year in mendocino county to bring land race gardening to our county so recently I gave a presentation in Covalo um, that was really fun and that uh, awesome group of people. And I just basically told them, you know, what was what, sort of my, my personal story of how I got into it. And the, and the fun part was the second hour where we talked about, um, or I facilitated their conversation because I don't live there, um, what their local challenges are, what they struggle to grow, and what the what crops do they want to reliably grow for their own food security, seed sovereignty, um, happiness. Uh, so they picked six different species, and those were um, cucumber, peppers, artichokes, and melons, and kale. So then we had a volunteer six volunteers, one for each species, that agreed to kind of store collection of those seeds from the community. They're using the seed library as a, as a hub. Cool. And mixed seeds. So everyone in the community is encouraged to contribute seeds, and they pull those seeds together, sort of increase the diversity, um, and then those seeds will go be mixed and go back out to the community, the ones that want to participate in this project. And that will, you know, help them grow melons that can mature in a shorter season with colder nights uh, and kale that might struggle with the heat in the summer. So um, each year they will get a lot better because the people are saving what did well in their own gardens. And they don't have to let things cross, but they they do only select the seeds from their own garden, what they grew. So that is based on that model with the seed stewards and pooling of the seeds on something that we did um, in the organization going to seed. Can I talk about that? Please, yes. <laughs> okay. So during the year, uh, we it was really apparent that we needed to become a nonprofit for this to really work. We didn't want to have a paywall we wanted to be able to accept donations and make the content available to everybody that could benefit from it so we have a fiscal sponsor now called congratulations sorry say that again who is it empowerment works empowerment works we were talking about that last year you were working toward that it took a long time because it takes a long time much. to get a fiscal yeah. sponsor there aren't that many organizations that do those because they're a lot of work for the the parent organization so Congratulations. Empowerment works. Yeah. So now we have about 600 people that have signed up wow. um, to the courses. So we, what Joseph and I worked on over the year was this online course, two online courses now about this method. So if this is interesting to you, now everything is, is free and that's at going to seed. So, um, Going to seed.org.com. Going to seed.org. Going to seed.org. Anyone listening can go there and take two free online courses about this method of gardening. And there's something really exciting that you can do too, which is pretty new. Uh, we started in the fall. So we have a national seed sharing project. So in the same model that, that you know, Kovalo did, um, 
people that were in our network that had taken the course that were growing in this way, they sent in seeds. We had instructions for them, what kind of seeds, how to, how, you know, how to do everything, what we were looking for and what we weren't looking for. So we don't get weird, weird crosses. We don't want, you know, sweet corn, flower corn, for example, or any of those um, potentially bitter peppos. Uh -huh. So people sent in their seeds and they got mixed. And then we have an online storefront now. So if you go on to that website, going to seed.org, you can go to the seeds section and buy seeds and they're free. They're wow. free. All you do is pay for the cost of shipping. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So That's if you amazing. buy a seed packet, every seed's going to be different. You know, you can have, there's 20 seed, tomato seeds in a tomato packet. Um, each one of those might come from different parts of the country. So you just buy, like, you just click tomatoes, and it's they aren't separated by long growing days or soil type. It's just like, put these 20 tomato seeds in your garden and see what's happy. Yeah, this is our pilot project, so that's really we didn't cool. segregate them too much. But that's the idea for the coming year, is that we'll do more of that. So, you know, people that are in northern Canada don't get seeds, corn seeds, from someone in Florida, because that's wouldn't really be helpful for them so we'll do we'll, we'll organize the seeds by function instead of by variety so you know drought resistant cucumbers for example and that's, mm. don't know that that will happen but um we'll do more of that we have i don't know 20 different options right now not all of them are still available so we're going to increase the number of the species and the number of the mixes and really um, expand that because it's been really popular I mean, I'm sure. What a cool idea. And I love the thought of just, like, grab bag tomatoes, see what comes up. You don't know if that's going to be a cherry tomato or a big fat beefsteak or, you know, just see what yeah. just see what grows. That's cool. Yeah, and some of these mixes are beautiful. Like, the sweet corn, all different colors. Sweet corn, the beans, they're all different. What an enormous undertaking. I luckily I haven't you know I didn't organize that project someone came forward her name was Anna and she really spearheaded it so there's been a few people that have come forward and said I want to do this and done really awesome work so I feel really lucky in that you know there's a great group of people and that has caused the growth to be faster and you said 600 people have signed up to take those online courses Yes. How are you advertising? How's the word getting out? We're not very good at advertising. <laughs> and we, um, we had to go to nonprofit. And, you know, the last few months, we've really been focused on this seed project, sort of expanding, transitioning towards the nonprofit, working on all those back-end things. So we haven't advertised, but it's kind of like facebook where it's more valuable the more people you know are on there so you're motivated to bring other people in and i hope that's happening somewhat um but it's all been word of mouth and people spreading the word amongst themselves i have a youtube channel too which i think is bringing in some people so we're trying but that's really gonna be coming over the next few months is now that we have we can accept donations we have a website we have all these different things ready to go. We have an online community platform that's really active. I feel like now we're just kind of launching. What's your YouTube channel? It's called Landrace Gardening. Landrace Gardening. That's easy to find you. I'm going to go find I'm you not, on YouTube. I'm not in any videos. So just don't <laughs> look for me. Maybe a couple. <laughs> but... I mean, when I say it's an enormous undertaking, I don't just mean the seed exchange, although that is super cool, and I'm absolutely going online. Again, that's going to seed.org. You can order seeds. The seeds are free, and you just pay for shipping. The whole organization seems like a really big, interesting, dare I say, essential undertaking as we move toward more sort of apocalyptic agriculture scenarios that we all know even if we only know it in the deepest darkest parts of our hearts is coming for us so i yeah. just i want to thank you for laying this groundwork while you know big ag is still quote unquote functioning 
<laughs> yeah, that has really motivated me. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the so many ways agriculture is suffering. You know, the environmental impact of it because we're now growing crops that require all this nitrogen fertilizer and plastics and inputs because that's our mentality is how to change the environment to, to grow a crop, whereas really we need to move towards a more... Uh, ancestral mindset of how do we adapt these crops to fit our environments um, and also climate change giant problem and with the the centralization of agriculture the loss of diversity I mean they say 90% of diversity has been lost over the last 100 years or less um, we're, we're really just heading towards a dark place with the seeds that we have access to so so that's been a motivating factor for all these things is is like you know the educational portion of changing people's mindset and then making those seeds available and as a decentralized model so that you know hopefully we can grow big so that we can supply a lot of these seeds and give people an option um, besides big seed companies well, I love the model you're following, which you've started small and thoughtful, and you've been doing your own growing and experimenting as the organization itself grows. And I really think it's a, if you build it, they will come model. And the proof is already in the pudding because you said you've barely done any advertising, and yet 600 people have taken your online course, which is not a small number of people. Um, so yeah, I think to me, it just seems like there's really no, no limits to what you'll be able to achieve and who you're going to be able to reach. And I'm grateful and excited to, to learn from you and watch the organization grow. And it's also saving seeds is an act of revolution and defiance because in so many places corporations have actually made it illegal for farmers to save their seeds which is just so profoundly disturbing on so many levels but you are starting an organization that has the exact opposite model and it's just refreshing and necessary well thank you that's really sweet there's another project i'm really excited about it hasn't been released yet but i've been spending a lot of time on it and you know, I don't want to um, get sort of stuck in this mentality of, of starting over and, you know, um, that we're inventing the wheel because we're not. I mean, this is it's a form of agriculture that's um, being done in, you know, indigenous places, communities especially. So I went to Oaxaca and I um, am collaborating with a few people there to do a bunch of videos and another course on the crops from the center center of origin of those crops cool. so a lot of the crops we grow corn squash beans tomatoes tomatillos chilies they are from southern mexico so um there's somebody else that's actually teaching the course and i'm supporting with some some video and tech work and stuff like that so that's going to come out in the next couple months and and focus on on um people in southern mexico and the people that have been you know their ancestors have been doing it in a similar way for ten thousand years 300 generations the answer so often to our modern problems is stop doing our dumb modern things I mean, nothing against certain modern technology, you know, that's I'm alive and my daughter's alive because of Western medicine, but it's so rarely the the answer that's going to save us all. So I'm glad that that you're collaborating in that way. That's just, yeah, more audience you can reach and more languages you can reach people in and more geographic areas. It's nothing but good can come of it, I think. I hope so. So let's take a quick second to reintroduce us and open up the phone lines. If you want to call in and have any questions about land race gardening or anything else, 707-895-2448. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. My guest is Julia Dakin, Julia Farms and Casper. She has helped start an organization called Going to Seed about the land race gardening method, which is plant seeds, don't coddle them. Save the seeds of the ones that did well. Plant again next year. Repeat. <laughs> Is that about it? 
That's right, yeah. <laughs> if you want a more detailed description of this fascinating and intuitive method of growing your own food, you can go to goingtoseed.org. You can also order seeds there that are totally free. You just have to pay the shipping. If you want to call and talk to Julia about any of this or me about whatever, 707-895-2448. We have about 13 minutes left in the show before we transition to democracy now and we'd love to hear from you so you mentioned covalo and you know having started there in mendocino county are there any other local workshops coming up or groups that are forming in mendocino county to do seed exchanges i had been intending to do this in some version on the coast i really need to and i've just been distracted by the bigger project. Um, but over the next couple of weeks, I um, am working Sakina. Sakina Bush oh, is yeah. helping. Sure. Um, and we're going to do a, a presentation with interested gardeners around here. And, it, you know, and identify the crops that, you know, we want to grow here reliably. And then do follow the Covalo model. Cool. Hey, so, we have a call. Okay. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, um, mostly I missed, I think Julie was replying to you about um, um, a site, a website, I guess, for the Going to See project. Uh-huh. I'm interested in doing that, but my thing is I don't, I don't have credit cards or nothing like that. Is there any way I can work this out where we can send it to a, send some, you know, a money order or something like that to cover the shipping and like that? Is there an address? Um, well, you should email me, and then we haven't had this request before, so we've never tried to figure that out. You can sign up for the courses without any kind of credit card, and for the seeds, yes, you would need it. So why don't you um, email me at julia at goingtoseed.org, and then since you're local to me, I can we can connect, and I can help make that happen for you. Sweet. Thank you, Julia. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the call. One of the many things I love about Mendocino County, you can just call a radio show, you don't need a credit card, and get some seeds. <laughs> if anyone else has burning questions about how to get seeds or do this gardening, 707-895-2448. I cut you off. You were talking about doing a coastal workshop day sort of thing with Sakina Bush. Once you do these in-person community-based workshops, do you find, and I know this is maybe an unfair question because you've only done, I think, one so far in Covalo, but I'm sure Joseph has done some where he lives. Do you find that a community group kind of begins to coalesce around this method of gardening and just the seed saving becomes an inherent part of that group? I mean, it's it feels like a really strong basis for good old-fashioned community building. Yes, and I hope so. We haven't, yeah, we haven't been doing it long enough to really see that, but there are really good examples of community groups working with seed libraries to, to save seeds and um, make that happen. And there are two that I can think of that are in California. One is the Community Seed Exchange in Sebastopol. They have done a great job at, they have their own seed garden, and a community of them works in that seed garden and manages their seed library. So I like that model too. I've, I've considered, you know, opening up my field more to, to do something like that. And there's another one, the Napa <clears throat> Seed Library. And so both relatively really local to us. Yes. And I hope to um, go to both, you know. The seed library community is really active, and they just had a conference a week ago, and there's a lot of YouTube videos from that conference. Uh, most of them are about seed libraries, and they are on the YouTube channel Seed Libraries. Cool. 
Hey, I just got an announce uh, notification uh, for everybody listening. This is a public service announcement. Well, I guess just if you're a KZ Wax listener, uh, Cal Fire will be cutting power to our 90.7 transmitter site in 10 minutes, and it will be out for 30 minutes. So it's going to cut out at the end of my show, and it'll come back halfway through Democracy Now. If you are listening to 90.7, we are expecting a cut in power for about 30 minutes starting in 10 minutes. So sorry about that. You can go online if you have the option to listen online for 30 minutes. Continue. <laughs> There's a seed exchange coming up in Willits on Saturday. Oh, okay. Is that the seed and scion exchange or is that in Anderson Valley? Am I getting those mixed up? I don't think so. This is just a seed exchange. And so I'm going to go with some of my seeds to that. Where is it in Willits? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? You just said you're going. I am going. Is it secret? Is it a secret <laughs> seed exchange, Julia? It's probably at the Willits Grange. That's but they're on Facebook. Guess. So okay. I saw the notice on Facebook. Okay. And I kind of forgotten about it, but that'd be a cool project, cool thing to go to. So this Saturday in Willits on the eighteenth. And it's at noon. At noon. Oh dang. I was gonna say I'm driving through Willits that morning. Well, if you are listening and you're in or near Willits this Saturday at noon, go to the Grange probably for a seat exchange. And I know Anderson Valley does do one annually. I'm, that's where the seed and scion exchange is, right? You know, they're talking about having the seed and scion exchange in Colville because the group in Anderson Valley hasn't been doing it for the last couple of years, I as see. far as I know. Got so it. I think they want to start it up again. This The Round Valley Seed Library is talking about it. I think I asked you this on our first show, but I have, like everybody else listening, I'm sure, a box of seeds I've been collecting for years. Can I just plant them all and see what happens? Is that a good place to start? Or no? Should yeah. I try to find more <laughs> local seeds for my year? No, you should, you should plant them. Just plant them because, all and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, part of part of this is not spending more money, right? It's like how to grow without buying things. Good point. Um, good point. <laughs> so maybe at so, you know if they don't do well, you want to add more local ones. But um, if you have different varieties of something, I would recommend mixing them carefully. I mean, not indiscriminately. So if you have three different varieties of kale, just go ahead and mix them because you're going to get kale and it's all gonna be tasty dino and curly in the same row you know um did we talk about nutrient density in our last we did and you blew my freaking mind with it okay because the things that taste better are better for you and so i'm never gonna buy another anemic vegetable out of season again (laughs) out of just desperation for nutrition (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are other things like fiber and stuff that you get from vegetables. So. <laughs> no, fiber. never again, Julia. <laughs> um, but yeah, kale is one of those things where the differences are giant. So some varieties of kale have a couple hundred times more antioxidants than another variety. And regardless of where they're grown. Um, so yeah, you should just plant them and weed out the anemic ones if you planted too many seeds and let the healthy ones grow and see what you like i'm hoping that my husband is listening because i want to do this and i want him on board too carson i think this will be good for our style of gardening which is what's a nice way to put it kind of lazy (laughs) that's perfect yeah land race for the lazy gardeners among us that's your tagline it's a benefit not to, you know, be too controlling. Because it's really hard for a lot of people to let go of the named varieties. Mm. They have those stories and we've sort of been inoculated our whole lives to really preserve those. And so, and to coddle every single plant. Right. So both the letting letting them go, just, you know, if something gets attacked by bugs, don't worry about it. Um, and not tracking varieties is is a challenge for so many gardeners. I don't think that would be hard for me. I don't, if it tastes good, I don't really care what it's called. Um, what's tricky for me is more just the, 
letting nature take its course, which is ironic because that is exactly where nature should take its course. But we are all indoctrinated into this high intervention method of growing our food. And it takes some unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. But it didn't take me long. I mean, um, three years ago, I was super into, you know, tomatoes, tomato varieties and tomato diseases. And I was just, every time I would <clears throat> I'd see powdery mildew or I'd see blight, I just like have to learn, or the nutrient deficiencies, you know, I pretty much knew the patterns, the visible patterns in every single tomato um, plant that I had, like looked them up. And then after I started doing it this way, it just, it's just like freedom. Like, let it go. It's fine. Some of them are healthy. The ones that aren't healthy, I don't care why they're not healthy. <laughs> Doesn't matter at all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with all that newfound time and mental space? <laughs> I certainly fill it up. <laughs> you fill it up by starting an organization. And I'm going to say that information one more time for folks who are just tuning in or haven't written it down, or we've somehow managed to convince you in the last five minutes that this is, in fact, for you. You can go to goingtoseed.org to learn more about land-based gardening. There are two free online courses that you can take there. You can also find land race gardening on YouTube for some videos. Also on that website, going to seed, you can order free seeds. You just have to pay the shipping. And if you have any other questions, you can um, bomb Julia's inbox, Julia at goingtoseed.org. Any last uh, words of wisdom or encouragement before we get this planting year started? I know farmers are already planting, but for the the rest of us. The lazy gardener. The, it's only <laughs> it's February 16th. Really. It's not lazy. <laughs> not lazy yet. I, I, I like that. No, I like that. Um, I would love to connect with more local gardeners. So um, I, I've just been kind of so focused on this bigger project in the national network, and that's really been a gap for me. So um, especially if you're on the coast, I'd um, love to connect. Well, you heard it here, folks. Julie is looking for more more coastal seed exchange neighbor community friends, Julia at goingtoseed.org. Julia, should we make this a yearly tradition? Will you come on again next winter and talk to us yes. about how your year went? Yeah, I'd love to. And how Thank your you. organization has grown and where we can get seeds and all that good stuff? Sounds good, hopefully. I won't hold you to it, but I will invite you back. Thank you so right, much, well Julia. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. If you are listening and you're interested in being a guest on the Farm and Garden Show, I would love to talk to you. You can email me at dj at kzyx.org. Put Farm and Garden in the heading and we'll get you on the show because I want to hear from everybody. And I think most of you listening have something interesting to say. So if you'd like to be a guest, dj at kzyx.org. This has been the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. Tune in again next week for your other host, Michael Foley. And then I will be back two weeks from now. Stay cool out there, y'all. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.